1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to DraftKings Network.
0: i excited as we march towards the college football playoff to be joined next by a man who's going to be tasked with going out there and trying to get his team to the national championship, Pac-12 champion, and uh, adding to the hardware case, Coach, I yes. saw just recently named AP Coach of the Year now to go with the number of other Coach of the Year honors you've received, Kalen DeBoer, kind enough to join us here now. Coach, how are you doing?
3: I'm great. appreciate you guys having me on the show. You know, while while
2: you want the hardware of a national championship, it's it's got to be pretty nice that you know you're winning these coaching of the year and getting some hardware to put in your own uh, trophy case.
3: Yeah, these these uh, when you're the head coach and uh, it's coach of the year awards, these are all all about the team, uh, the coaching staff, the players. Um, it wouldn't be possible without them, and uh, just blessed to be in this position where uh, got uh, a lot. Of great things that have happened over the course of this season and even last season and uh you know fortunately get a chance to be the head coach of this uh, great program and you know these awards are a part of that so uh, very blessed
0: Coach, you mentioned this kind of feeling like it built off of last season where you came in and had a lot of success early on. You and Michael Penix Jr. and the rest of this team laid the foundation for what's come this year. I'm curious, when did you know in the lead-up to this season, early on, that this team was capable of the kind of things you guys have gone out here and done?
3: Yeah, I think we knew uh, at the end of last year, you know, and just the progression of how last season went. Um, the talent is a big piece of it, uh, but – just the chemistry and the way that these guys work, uh, we're always improving and we knew we hadn't met our ceiling yet as a football team and a football program. And then uh, you kind of look at December to January and all these guys that have opportunities to, to move on to the NFL and, and uh, kind of start their careers at the next level uh, one by one, starting with a Michael Penix, you know, choosing to come back and improve his growth and development as a football player and as a person, uh, but also... Realizing what we could do, uh, the special journey that we were on and wanting to continue that uh, and these guys coming back. And so it's been a mission that's uh, not just been a couple months here. It's been something that's really, uh, you know, grown and, and uh, here we are. It wasn't easy. It never is. Um, I've been a part of championship teams and there's, uh, there's uh, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the injuries that come your way, the tight games where you need a break or two to go your way. Um, but I think, you know, the resiliency of this football team uh, being tested uh, isn't just even about this fall. It's about, you know, even last season and how we got to, to 11-2 and record a year ago.
2: And then there's preparation. You know, during the regular season, you're preparing week to week with a bye occasionally. College football is unique in that last game after the conference championship. You get a long wait until your next game, whether it's a bowl game or in this case, you know, the, the, the semifinals. But talk, take people inside and talk about the difference. Last year, your team was getting ready for the Alamo Bowl. Still a bowl game, a nice game. But this year, you're getting ready for the semis of a national championship run. What's the difference in preparation for a bowl and then a playoff bowl?
3: Sure. You know, one thing that was different, even just the beginning of December, is this year we're playing for a conference championship. And uh, so that week... Uh, you know, it's just added um, added practice time and just uh, furthered our, you know, elongated our season. And uh, those are intense practices because there's a lot at stake and, and you're playing for something big. And we kind of really knew we needed to win that game to get to the point we're at now. So the intensity of those practices were great. Um, you know, we, we gave the guys a, a week off, a week and a half off, you know, but they, away from the practices still lifting, running, training. Um, And then uh, finals are kind of in that same time period, practiced uh, three times just to try to stay sharp, give the guys a few days away, sent them home, and we're just getting back going here now. Uh, And just the intensity now, the buildup, you know, knock the dust off a little bit, Uh, just getting back to the technical things. Uh, We'll be doing that here in the next day or two, just uh, now dialing in on the, the Texas game plan getting ready to play uh, you know, the semifinal
0: game. And certainly want to get into the opponent that you're going to face. But you mentioned the Pac-12 championship, Coach. How did you use maybe as motivation a lot of the conversation you heard about your team? You guys beat Oregon earlier in the year on your home field. And ever since then, everyone talked about, oh, look at what this Oregon team's done since then. Everyone had you guys as underdogs in that game. Was that something you guys acknowledged? Did you use that as fuel? How did that work in the lead up?
3: Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say uh, it w- It added to the chip on our shoulder, you know, and there's, you know, even the Oregon state game, we were predicted to lose, uh, you know, just in a lot of people's minds. And we knew that was going to be a challenge. And that was the conference, you know, each and every week, especially for us in November, where we faced, you know, three ranked teams at that time. Uh, that's not even including the Oregon game, which was earlier in the year. Uh, and then of course, Seattle cup, which is a rivalry game. And you throw the records out whenever those games happen. So uh, we've been tested many times. Uh, the the conference championship, uh, you know, comes our way. And, um, you know, this isn't anything. I mean, we knew we were facing a very good Oregon football team um, that, like you said, was continuing to grow themselves and, and build. Um, but, yeah, we had a chip on our shoulder. And, you know, being predicted to, to not be on the right end of it, um, really, with where we're at as a football program, Um, it doesn't really mess with our swagger, mess with our confidence. Uh, we know internally who we are. We know that the, the people who are, you know, trying to predict these things, um, you know, that's all it is. And so the same case with us going into this next week, uh, this next game, you know, just it's about us. It's about focusing on who we are, making sure we take care of our business, the preparation leading to uh, our performance on game day.
2: So coming to the end of that, that Pac-12 game when you're, you run out the last two minutes of that game and you're going to win the game, and you're no stranger to last team standing. It's who falls. You won three and NAIA football championship So you're used to being the last man standing. So when you win that game against Oregon, the Pac-12 title, do you know, I mean, do you feel, though nothing's guaranteed, you know you're in it, you know you're in the final four and there should be no no question
3: involved? Yeah, I don't want to sound naive, but, yeah, I did feel that was the case. Uh, (laughs) I know that anything can happen, as you said, but I think a lot of it had to do with our record, um, just how we played in that game, and then who we were playing, you know, number three versus number five, uh, a one-loss team. And so just really felt like there was a lot of things that showed how strong of a football team we had. I think even how we played, you know, just showing – physical toughness throughout the game throughout the season you know and building on that and being balanced in our attack uh you know run to pass and just playing really sound defense uh, strong defense in that game uh against again a very good football team so yeah i don't want to sound naive um that we knew it was 100 percent, but we were fairly confident
0: with that in mind were you stunned to see what happened with florida state at the same time too
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of knew that there was uh, some questions on what would happen. And unfortunately, uh, you know, because they controlled everything they did. um, You know, you feel bad for the situation that uh, that happened there um, because as a coach. And I think that way, first and foremost, right, the things that you could control, you did. And, um, you know, that's how we look at our season. We controlled everything we could and and were undefeated with a conference championship. So you certainly, you know, um, feel for them that situation and and kind of how it's all played
2: out there. Oh, let me tell you, I I I have been saying it. I, I'm sick for them. as like you said, as a coach, all you can do is say buy in and believe in what we're doing. And they all they did was win every single game with a backup and a third string quarterback. And yet because of an injured quarterback, they didn't get in. So I'll say it. I was sick for them and I think they should have had the opportunity. But this is where we are. So you're going to play Texas in the Sugar Bowl. So what do you do with the extra time instead of week to week preparation and scouting? With the extra time, is there is there a part of you sometimes that says, "My God, we have way too much time. We may overthink this thing."
3: Well, I, honestly, no. Uh, you know, with signing day being tomorrow, um, and just mm. it, it's this it's this space that we're in right now as a coaching staff, where you're you're trying to manage the the roster that you have with the roster for the future. Um, just a lot of uh, you know things happening that you're you're balancing, and and uh, our staff has done a great job. We work well together, communicate great, and uh, you know there's just a lot of pieces uh, w- along with the game planning, getting ready for Texas that you're trying to balance as a staff. So uh, we've been plenty busy. You know we were on the road there a couple of weeks during the contact period, and now we're back here in the offices and uh, really trying to put that final piece of the game plan together. Those final touches as we uh, start kicking off uh, practices, getting ready for the Sugar Bowl
0: coach dad mentioned it before you've been involved in the game and and, and coaching college football at so many different levels along your journey in different spots and you just mentioned it right now you've got signing day going on there's been the transfer portal name image and likeness is a change you guys are getting ready to go play in the big 10 next year as someone that's been around this sport for so long how comfortable are you with the direction it's all going now with the changes that we've
3: seen yeah. I think you have to evolve. I mean, I feel that as a coach with anything, um, you know, as you, as the X's and O's, let's just take the simplest. I mean, offense and defensive schemes, if you're not evolving, if you're not continuing to adapt with the times you're going to get left behind. And so, uh, you, you, you focus on what you can control. You, you focus on, on those things and, uh, you try to prioritize and you try to just make sure that you're, you know, evolving yourself. And so, Um, It is important, you know, as you mentioned, all those things uh, playing out and, um, you know, we understand the future of of college athletics, college football um, isn't slowing down uh, as far as the changes that are coming our way. So um, be ready for anything and everything. Uh, Expect the unexpected. And uh, that's that's just part of uh, the world we're in today. So uh, it's probably not just college athletics, college football. I think that's just the way of life. So worry about what you control. Be your best every day. And uh, just surround yourself with great people you can trust to go attack anything that comes your way.
2: You know, that, that's, that's such great words of advice because everybody may not like what's going on, but it's where we are. And so you better learn a way to deal with it. It's adapt or die mentality, uh, kind of as, as you said. So like I said, we do want to get into the game. But one other thing about a bowl, if it's not this uh, uh, Priority of of a semifinals, is a lot of these bowl practices coaches love for the young players. Does that kind of get lost? And and listen, for good reason. You're trying to play for a national championship. But what happens to the young players? Because this is a lot of times the time where they get a lot of work.
3: Yeah, I I think, um, you know, we did some of those practices even before the guys took a couple days to get away, go home. Um, and it's fun for them. It's fun for us. Uh, and it shows that hey, we're you know we're excited about you and the future here in this program. And we have a lot of promising pieces uh, that are showing that you know this uh, program's gonna continue on to be at this level for for many years to come. But uh, yeah, the intensity of the Pac-12 Championship, um, you're really kind of focused on those 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 uh, key the, the the guys that are on the football field. And now again, like you said, getting prepared for. Uh, The the Sugar Bowl and the Final Four um, semifinal game, Um, you know, the the space did get a little more kind of condensed than uh, with the focus on the young guys than a normal maybe bowl season and bowl prep. But um, these guys know and understand the situation and uh, are here to do anything they can to help our football team. Um, and they know their time will continue to happen, to continue to come. So we're on the football field, we're working, we're in the the weight room, and so that's making each of these guys better uh, in the meantime.
0: They're all putting the work in. You mentioned you and your staff are putting the work in. Uh, Let's talk Texas, Coach. I've said this might be offensively between the firepower on the field, between the play callers, the best offensive football game we see all year. I I know you're someone who's cut their teeth on offense and been associated with that side of the ball. But as the head coach right now, do you find yourself peeking over and seeing Steve Sarkeesian and the stuff he's doing on offense there too and having kind of that you know know, admiration, mutual respect, but also like, hey, I want to go out there and show that – we're not anybody's second place going in this game with the quality of offense that's going to be out there
3: yeah it's uh it's it's impressive coach uh sark uh with what he's done there um just over the last couple of years you know and we played them a year ago in the alma bowl and it was impressive then and now you know just like i think you'd you'd hope it would be seen in our program um you can see the growth of the of the team there you're talking offensively and what he does and um, man, just a, a great mind uh, when it comes to play calling and putting together a plan, um, the history. And I didn't know him at the time. But, of course, he's been involved in this program, too, you know, And the, as his time as a head coach. And so, you know, I, I think there's there's so many people that have played into where we're at today. Um, you know, I'd give him some credit for, you know, where we're at now, too, and, and what Coach Pete did and and so forth. Just uh, getting to this point where we're at. Uh, you know building this program up to the level of, of national success that we're having you know that is
2: interesting you right. as December 29th last year you you beat them in the Alamo Bowl 27 to 20 do you take anything from that game as you prepare for this game as far as you know scouting and looking into it
3: well I think there's a little bit of familiarity now you know with the players um, that, that could that return um, you know, coaching, uh, just kind of the, maybe the way that you're viewed a year ago and, and understanding maybe the things that were exploited either way, whether it's us to them or them to us. Um, so, you, you know, you're always kind of looking at that piece. Um, but then you just still got to look and dive into uh, the, the transformation of their team offensively, defensively, and what they look like now. But understanding that, you know, each staff looks at your team a certain way, um, whether, you know, your identity and, will attack you, you know. Uh, and so, you know, that, that certainly is something that we're fam- the familiarity, I think, helps us understand and would help them understand uh, kind of what we're all about and, you know, our players as well.
0: And certainly everyone familiar with the two great quarterbacks they're going to be playing in this game. Uh, For you, Coach, you've known Michael now through a couple of stops here, but finishes as a Heisman finalist this season. What has he meant to you as a coach, this team, and and what are people going to get as they start to dive into him as a prospect for the next level when they get Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback?
3: I mean, personally, I mean, this guy is just – the journey he's been on and his trust and faith in myself and, and of course the coaches that um, are around this program, um, it just means everything. He's just such a down to earth, um, live it in the moment. Uh, the adversity he's been through, I think just it shows itself in so many ways as far as how you know his attitude and gratitude is and, and him wanting to give to his teammates and how important they are to him I mean, he is a team guy through and through. I know a lot has been seen on how he, you know, embraces that. It is, it's is—it's what we see day to day, every single day. And, uh, man, it just it warms your heart as a coach to see, you know, not just one of your best players, but your quarterback who's up for the Heisman, you know, finalists. And, um, you know, you're getting good hands when your leader is that hard of a worker, that great of a player, um, you know. So it's his journey, I mean, the adversity he's, he's experienced, I think, translates to those moments we've been in. I said it a year ago, I'll say it again. When you need, uh, you know, touchdown, your backs are the wall, you need a response to maybe a score that was made or something that happened on the other side of the ball. I mean, he's he's ready to perform and, and uh, just focus on that next play and what he can control just like he had to when injuries came his way. So um, as far as moving on to the next level, uh, I just don't know how his – you know, his his game doesn't translate. I mean, as a passer, his accuracy, the arm strength, um, you know, he's just, I mean, when it comes to football IQ and processing, um, he does it extremely fast. Um, he's, a, he's a great athlete. Um, you know, we try to use the, the arm piece of it, but he can make things happen with his feet. Um, just everything he's experienced. I think he's a mature guy uh, and we're excited about what the future holds for him, you know, moving on to the NFL.
2: Coach, one thing, you know, my son and I do a show together, both being linemen on different sides of the ball. We know it's not all about football. It's about food as well. So you're going to the Sugar Bowl. You're going down to that region. Do you have a favorite type of food from that New
3: Orleans region? Man, I've never been there. I've never been there in my entire life. I mean, it's, there's a, most of the place in the country that is one place. Other than flying in, flying out, maybe a quick stop for a recruiting trip or something at, but as far as just like being there for any amount of time above and beyond a day or two, uh, so experience it, you know, for our team. And this is the first, uh, you know, with the ties and alliances to bulls, this is the first time, not just our program, but the entire PAC 12 has ever had someone in the sugar bowl. So, um, you know, that's a pretty cool experience. We're looking forward to some of those things you're talking about and, and seeing the culture and, and, uh, the food piece along with that. Uh, I'm a fan. So we'll, we'll, we're looking forward to that.
2: Coach, one word beignets. If nothing else, yeah. beignets. <laughs> it's a wonderful pastry with powdered uh, sugar on top with some coffee. Oh, chef's kiss on that one. So please try that.
3: I love it. I'm, I've, I've had that many times been told to me already since uh, the announcement was made. So I'll take you up <laughs> on that. I have all the trust in the world in you.
0: There we go. I was going to say, I know, uh, Coach, you're a man we've talked about in the past, uh, uh, a fan of the Portillo's cake shake and everything that comes with that too. So you're a man of great taste in this area. So I trust you're going to do the right things down there, both on and off the field. Uh, Coach, couldn't be more excited for you guys. It's been awesome to watch and cover your team all this year and last year. Best of luck with everything in the lead-up to this game. I know we're all looking forward to it.
3: Thank you. You guys are great. I appreciate having you on the show.
1: And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York.
0: everybody, welcome back to Gojo and Golic. And we got a little bit of breaking news here, courtesy of our good friend, uh, Nicole Arbach, senior college football writer over at The Athletic, that Florida State has scheduled an emergency meeting of its Board of Trustees for Friday morning. This is the first step, in her words a concrete step needed in any effort to enable the school to take legal action against the ACC to challenge the grant of rights. Dad, we came on this show yesterday when all this news started to trickle out and said the last thing on earth anybody should do in any walk of life is doubt motivated rich people, especially in a sport like college football, where so often those motivated rich people also aren't bound by anything resembling common sense. And this is just another example of that. About 17 days after Florida state got snubbed by the CFP committee, we are now getting to the point where they are ready to rattle the tectonic plates of the sport yet again.
2: And the winner always in all of these things are going to be lawyers and their billable hours mm-hmm. because what's going on now with lawyers looking to find, whether loopholes or a way around, what's holding everything back, and we knew the ACC had been complaining about Obviously, the realignment going on and then how the money has been distributed and it should be distributed differently. And the ACC is going to distribute the money differently. So they did kind of you want to say the word acquiesce a bit to Florida State and say we will distribute the money differently. Uh, But now it's all about the grant of rights. Right. That 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 the ACC officials have basically said this is ironclad contract that runs through 2036. That's as long as the TV rights deal with ESPN, and it is ironclad. And the buyout for any team, if they wanted to leave the conference, would be three times the operating budget of the ACC, so that would come out to about $120 million as an exit fee, let alone uh, getting your way around the grant of rights issue. So that's the battle right now, and as one official put it, it would be a hell of a court battle that... As I said, the winners will be the lawyers because the billable hours will be incredible. But I, I, we have seen through what the committee did, that what they think of the ACC. We know what the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be. This is just a further step, Mike, of what the next steps are to eventually get to what Chip Kelly has been talking about and just make football separate from all the other sports a big lead for for Division 1 or the Power 5 and a big lead for Group of 5, and here we go. But the process, unfortunately for a lot of teams, is going to take a while to get through.
0: Yeah, and this has kind of been what's gone on in the last year or so. You mentioned that grant of rights document. Florida State's lawyers, I'd imagine, have been poring over every nook and cranny of that thing right now. Bud Elliott, who covers... uh uh, college football over at twenty four seven. Also host the NOLCast, great Florida State podcast. Said he expects the FSU Board of Trustees to approve a legal filing today, the first step in an exit from the ACC, and that he thought this might happen two weeks ago on the eighth. But Florida State has pushed this thing back, Dad. And you mentioned everything that would come of it if there's a landing spot right now. We've heard no ties between them and the SEC or the Big Ten, the two conferences everyone assumes they would go for. But I want to go back to this statement from August and Nicole Arbach's piece on the. Athletic board of trustees member and former quarterback drew weatherford said in august at a board of trustees meeting it's not a matter of if we leave the acc in my opinion it's a matter of how and when we leave not everyone may agree with that but i feel pretty strongly about that and then trustee justin roth called for florida state to make an exit plan to get out by august of 2024 so again the motivated rich people that make the decision have been saying this out in the open and i've said this for years when it comes to playoff expansion and all the things around that minute you see somebody associated with the committee or a conference commissioner say it out loud on record in front of a microphone it means they've been talking about it for months if not years behind closed doors before it's gotten to you now and so like everything else in college football dad i was having this conversation with someone the other day who's who's not as dialed in on the college football scene who asked like hey, hey like this wouldn't happen anytime soon and i said listen i'm done thinking that there's a governor on the speed at which college football is going to continue to change. Because we thought that about moves like we saw from USC and UCLA, moves like we saw from Texas and Oklahoma a while back – We thought for so long this idea of super conferences or major realignment was going to take years, and we saw during the pandemic that is not the case. And so I will not be shocked if those kind of goals and lofty timelines for Florida State and really then, Dad, the beginning of what could be the end for the ACC and so many of the other big-time teams and brand names. Remember, there were seven teams in the ACC that were kicking the tires like Florida State on some sort of change, either in their membership in the conference or the structure of the conference. So. They're not going to be the only ones. This is going to be the tip of the iceberg.
2: And what a mess this has turned into. You mentioned it's Florida State, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina State are those teams that were kicking the tires. So the ACC might be in danger of going bye-bye. Oh, by the way, you just added Stanford, Cal, and SMU. So you brought in three teams, two from the West Coast, that now who knows what's going to happen to this conference. I mean – Everything that's been done so haphazardly as of late, and it's all about all about self-preservation. Yep. What is good for our school? And listen, I understand that. That's why it was laughable. Was it the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12? Way back when, just a couple of years ago, had this, we got each other's back. The alliance. We got a handshake. The alliance, man. We are with each other. <laughs> on that man okay yeah that worked out really well wait a minute we could do this and make more money doing that okay we're out sorry about that handshake didn't mean it it's a joke what's going on and mike i don't know where this ends because who's in control who is going to lead the ship the latest thing with the ncaa is they want to basically take over nil right that's what's on their mind right now not haven't heard a word about the realignment or anything going on mm-hmm. in the NCAA, NCAA. So how that? That's my biggest question, because I'm with you. I will not poo poo anything about time frame, but who does it? Who who leads this? Who finally what Chip Kelly Ch- Kelly said? Who puts that in motion? Who has the power to do it? Is it all the president's? Of the the Power Five schools, I, that's what I have no idea about. We all, we all, or Chip has that idea. It sounds good, but there's just so much going on in different corners of the country right now of what's happening. I have no idea how you get that all together unless you just tell Greg Sankey you're now running the entire show. Then you know he'd find he'd probably find a way that would make sure the SEC was right where it needed to be. But I I, I don't know how it gets to where we all think it's going to go. We all think that's going to be the way it ends up, but how in the hell does it get there?
0: Well, I've always said um, there's a book called The Club that's about the formation of the English Premier League, and I said if you're a college football fan, it should be required reading because I don't know if there's a more instructive lesson in what could happen with college football than what has gone on with European soccer. Very similar structures because you've got a ton of teams overall in the pyramid of European soccer, but the resources are so vastly different from top to bottom, it often feels like they're playing a very different sport. Sound familiar? Now, they got promotion and relegation, which is a little different. It makes it feel fun and exciting. But watching one of the headlines we woke up to today that we weren't going to get to on the show at this point, but there was a court ruling over in Europe that has cleared the way for the renewed possibility of the European Super League, something that got shot down during the pandemic, this idea of what if we took all that Premier League stuff, the championship model, and made it even more exclusive and got even more of your favorite good teams all in one big barrel and did it there. And we got a court ruling that basically said today that UEFA can't stop that. This wasn't an endorsement of it, but it's going to be a conversation that comes up again. So, Dad, I think that's always where this ends in the world of college football and who gets to decide that is either if they can get together a third party who would be capable of organizing something like this or the people involved coming together and saying, we think we can put together a group of people to run this thing We can, as the presidents, because like you said, it's always presidents, trustees, those people making the decisions that are maybe whispered about in their ear from the people like the Greg Sankey's of the world, the conference commissioners and the athletic directors. But that's who's ultimately going to do all this.
2: Yeah. And I just wonder how it gets formed. I really do, because there has to be that step, right? There has to be an acknowledgement that the way to go is to separate from all the other sports and then how you go about doing it. So while I, as I said, I agree with you, I said the timeline
0: could be sped up, this
2: timeline seems like, my God, when is it going to be? Well,
0: Dad, I mean, we thought the same thing and then we imagined a whole college football playoff committee out of thin air to govern the sports championship. So again, never doubt motivated rich people as Florida State's Board of Trustees get ready to meet and decide their future. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boost, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use code gojo. That's code gojo for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG.co slash B ball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It's Thursday, and you know what that means. Time for Thursday Night Football on Prime. It's on, baby. So we have a game tonight with big playoff implications in the NFC. Two 7-7 seven seven teams going head-to-head, Saints, Rams. And ahead of this game, Matthew Stafford was asked, does this feel like preparing for a playoff game?
0: Oh uh, Yeah, if playoff games were played three and a half days
3: after you played your last game.
0: But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a... More than that, it's just a jam-packed week of trying to get to know everything you can about the New Orleans Saints um, and and how they play ball. But uh, obviously, we're not immune to understanding what the implications are. But this is another football game we got to get prepared for in a short amount of time, both physically and mentally. That's what we're doing right now, um, except for when I'm sitting here talking to you guys.
3: You know, after a good uh, a good game that we had uh, as a team, you're like, man, I'll play. Can we play today? You know, you you want to get back out there because you just you feel good. And so, uh, you know, I I think just really it's in the mindset as i've learned over my 10 years like you got to set your mind for thursdays uh, they're going to happen whether you want them to or not i think players have talked about that uh, at nauseam uh, and you got to bring the energy and the effort
1: okay rams have won four of five saints have won two in a row guys what do we think going into this one
0: So, Dad, you are getting ready to call this game. You're actually out in Los Angeles right now, hanging out at a hotel and not my apartment, which has been the subject of a lot of scrutiny. Yes, it has, Mike. Yes, it has. Um, And I'm sure I'll hear more about that before the segment's over. But I'm going to try and point you in the direction of this game, Dad, because, again, while the records are identical, I really don't think there is much of a comparison between these two teams. Now, the status of Chris Olave is going to go a long way for the New Orleans Saints, no doubt, in this game. But, Dad, just looking, the Saints and the Falcons came into the season with two of the easiest schedules in the NFL and when I look at the teams that the Saints have managed to beat I'm not overly heartened by their chances of going up against what I think is, when not injured, an actual playoff team in the Rams. The Saints have beaten the Titans, the Panthers, the Patriots, the Colts, good team, the Bears, the Panthers, and the Giants. Not exactly a murderer's row of outfits that have actually gotten them in the win column this year, Dad. So as you've gotten ready for this one, are you well, more impressed by the Saints than I am at this point?
2: Well, l- l- let me just add to that. They're 1-5 in against teams 500 or better. That, that's that's what the Saints are. They just it's it's kind of like the Dolphin talk, right? You can't beat that team. Uh, that's five hundred. Hey, dolphin or
0: talk fixed Aaron Rodgers. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, there
2: you go. Um, the the one thing about this interesting in the beginning is looking at a short, you know, short time prep for a game, I, and the difference of if it's a division game, it's easier because you know the opponent. This is not, you know, these are teams that 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 aren't in the same division, so. The prep is a little, while it's more mental anyway, in a short week, still to get to know, uh, you know basically what a division team's going to do. Here there's a lot more involved because you don't you don't play these teams a lot. So from preparation standpoint, there's a lot more on your plate in a short week if it's not a division game. Rams are clearly playing better now. They're, they're, they're clearly on a roll and have been on a roll, uh, especially Matthew Stafford, Uh, Last four games, 12 touchdowns, one interception, by the way, since week 12, that's those 12 touchdowns that leads the NFL. Kyron Williams missed four games this year and has been just a a terror in running the ball uh, and getting into the end zone. And then obviously with Cooper Cup coming back from the hammies, had an ankle, Nick, but Puka Puka Nakua, the rookie, has been the consistent guy. But when they're healthy, that one-two punch has been fantastic. And on defense for them, here's such an interesting stat for me that, that I had to say. The last uh, last uh, few games for Aaron Donald, he has the last five games, just a half a sack, eight quarterback hits, and two tackles for losses. But he leads the league in in pressures over Miles Garrett. Over the last number of years, by a he has 120-some more than the next D tackle, and he leads Miles Garrett by 40-some with quarterback pressures. It's, a, it's cr- ridiculous. I think one of the big things in this game for me, Mike, is your position, the offensive line. Weeks one through nine, this offensive line was 29th in pressure rate, giving up. Since then, they're sixth. So they have all stepped up their game on the offensive side of the ball because the defense New Orleans for New Orleans has been the place to talk about the last couple of games no touchdowns given up. This this defense is the only defense in the last I believe it is 4 years to be top 10 in the scoring defense. This New Orleans defense. So that's going to be, to me, the key is what does this New Orleans defense do against all of a sudden this high-powered Rams offense? We've seen high power out of them down, you know, back in, in the day a little bit, but not as of late. Certainly the injury to Cooper Cup has hurt that, uh, but they have got back on that role. And as we talk about, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. How are you playing now? And they're on a roll right now. They're playing well right now, and they finish up, as we said, with this game, uh, and then the Giants, and then San Francisco. And remember, San Francisco could have the number one seed locked up by that game. And if they do, maybe they're going to rest some players, which could be a benefit for the Rams. New Orleans has this game, then Tampa Bay and Atlanta. So two uh, division games. Uh, they've lost it. They've actually lost to both those teams, uh, the first time around. So a little tougher road for them. And for the NFC South, it's the winner of the division is in. And I don't think there's going to be a wild card while the Rams (laughs) are making that run for the wild card, which, which obviously San Francisco has already taken that division. So both teams playing better now. I lean more toward what this New Orleans defense is going to do against all of a sudden in the last few weeks, this really high-powered offense that's been since, I believe, week 12. Not only with Stafford, I talked about the passing game, but they have been number one in the NFL in the rush since week 11. So they've run the ball better than everyone. Give Kyron Williams, again, a lot of credit for that, a guy who missed four games. So they're getting it done on, on the ground and in the air. But watch out for New Orleans' deep ball. Uh, Derek Carr will let it go deep, and they'll try and hit the big plays. Alave, as you mentioned, the big question uh, with the ankle. And we always we don't, we don't talk enough, I think, about Alvin Kamara. He leads the running backs in receptions with targets and receptions with 68. He is always a threat running the ball or catching it out of the backfield. You know the NFL today. Swing the ball out to your guy. Get him the ball, whether it's a receiver, whether it's a running back. Get him the ball quick. They do that with a lave they do that with uh kamara so these are the way they get those yards after the catch so that's the task for the rams defense is Give up the short pass, make the tackle immediately. These are two teams, we're, you're absolutely right. They are playing for their playoff lives right now, for sure. And New Orleans knows the deal. They know they have to win the division to get into the playoffs with well, the Rams. Obviously, it's a different story. So while it's a short week, while you're resting up as much as you can, I mean, everybody's obviously going to be laying it on the line tonight, knowing their rest of their season future could lie in this.
0: Yeah, I, I always go back to, and you mentioned the Rams' offensive line and how much that's changed and how much of an important factor. Because when we talk about all the things, they're pretty far down in the list of what people mention publicly talking about this team because you do. It's easy to get distracted. Puka Takua has been a revelation. You've got right. uh, you know, your best receiver in Cooper Cup that came back. Matthew Stafford rightly at the center of this conversation because nothing moves without him playing top five football. But I go back to, and in recent weeks it's waned a bit, You allowed zero sacks facing Miles Garrett and the Cleveland Browns defense that right now isn't just this season good. The Cleveland Browns defense, I saw Nate Tice from The Athletic post this, in terms of success rate on defense, is like one of the number one defenses in the last 10 or 15 years, something insane like that and you were able to hold them and Miles Garrett to a goose egg in that game. Now, you gave up a couple the next week against the Baltimore Ravens, very different defense you went up against. You gave up three against the Washington Commanders, who mortgaged away two of their their best defensive pass rushers at the trade deadline, so they can still be had, but Dad, when you combine a much improved and healthier group up front with a running attack that's changed drastically in its approach this season, I have a lot of faith in that group up front for the Rams, and I know you can't pick this game. The Rams are four-point favorites according to DraftKings Sportsbook. I would take the Rams in this one, and I'm tempted at home even on a short week to take the points in here, knowing that one of the Saints' best offensive weapon, even if Olave's on the field and expected to play, is going to be less than 100%. It's
2: one of the biggest turnarounds uh, is that offensive line for the Rams, as I just mentioned. Really quickly, I I want to put numbers to it with Aaron Donald. Since 2018, he has 126 more pressures than the closest defensive tackle. Overall, he has 466. Next is Miles Garrett at 442. All the next guys on the list are D-ends. He's a D-tackle that wreaks havoc in the
0: middle of that O-line. They've got a D-tackle that wreaks havoc. Coming up next, we'll go across town to the Chargers for a punter wreaking havoc on footballs and social media next. All right, guys, time to finish off the show the way we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off on in the rest of your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out live Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. And if you have to miss us for whatever reason, you can't get here live and you didn't tell your friends to come here live, You can always get us wherever you get your podcasts and catch up with great guests like we had today. Bradley Chubb from the Miami Dolphins, one of their star pass rushers. And Kalen DeBoer, the head coach of the Washington Huskies that are getting ready for the college football playoff. You can also get that right here on YouTube as soon as the show is Mm -hmm. done at 10 o'clock Eastern every day. Guys... Let's get to this and start off with, no surprise, the winners of the internet. But I, for one, am very thankful. The Chargers season has not been what anyone there has wanted. But that didn't stop them from still going and blessing the timeline with absolute heat in the name of helping their punter, Cameron Dicker, campaign for a Pro Bowl spot. Check out what the Chargers were able to do to help their boy out. Have you ever been victimized by a
1: missed goal? No good! Why to the
0: My name is Cameron Dicker, and I'll kick for you. 50, 40, 30, doesn't matter. I'll make it. Bang! 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 Rain, sleet, or snow, this leg is ready to go. Don't believe me? Ask him. Cameron Dicker is a really good kicker. He's outstanding, and you know, I love him. And I did not edit that. So don't be a and let me kick for you at the Pro Bowl. So go to chargers.com slash vote to send me in my leg to kick for you. Vote for me! Vote for me! Pro Bowl! 2023, baby, let's go! I want to apologize first and foremost for saying punter instead of kicker to dear sweet Cameron Dicker, the kicker, uh, because that 100 percent deserves your vote. For anyone that wasn't watching on DraftKings Network or YouTube, it's essentially what if an injury lawyers commercial met an I think you should leave sketch and birth dad, one of the greatest things I've ever seen on God's Internet.
2: That was phenomenal. That was absolutely phenomenal. I would vote for him just on that alone, that he took the time to do that. And you could tell he didn't edit that at all with Justin Herbert. That thing was awesome. He's only, he's made all his extra points. He's only missed one field goal this year. Uh, so he's, he's certainly, you know, uh, in line for the Pro Bowl. But to go to that length for a season and a team that has been so underachieving this year, now it's about the personal accomplishments. Now it's about the Pro Bowl. Now it's about the money you make in your contract if you make the Pro Bowl, and And then it's about the money you make if you win the Pro Bowl. So good on him for that one.
1: Yeah, the Chargers were like, we need some good internet clout. We need it to be good. So, oh, let's make this well, video. I was, I was uh, the other day, I
0: couldn't believe some people were bringing up, like, the Chargers are one of the foremost NFL in Twitter accounts, social media accounts. Their schedule release anime videos the last couple of years have been some of my favorite things ever created. And they have a bit on the internet where, like a lot of younger people, millennials, Gen Z, they don't capitalize a lot of proper nouns, capitalize the words that start their tweets. And I saw people making a Fuss, that when they announced the firing of Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley, that they didn't capitalize the we and we have parted yeah, ways. Yeah. And I could not believe people Ugh. were wasting oxygen on caring that much about grammar in 2023. Get over it. Get over I mean, just Dad, you're an old school guy, and I can't imagine even you could find brain cells to waste on something like capitalization in the year of our Lord 2023.
2: Yeah, the the punctuation police oh. are, are are just horrid because, by the way, this is because of somebody who's my punctuation is horrible, absolutely yes. horrible. But the bottom line is when I tweet something or say or write something and there's the punctuation is wrong, people still know what the hell I'm saying. All right. So get over it, people. Get over. Anybody who tweets that should be banned from Twitter. When they start
0: doing the pronunciation
2: or the, right. the, the punctuation guide.
0: That's Agreed. what we're going to complain about on Twitter in this year. You sure You sure about that? We got a lot of you sure other stuff about that,
1: bud? we can complain about.
0: Amen. Uh, yeah. We also have a lot of stuff that we should she- celebrate, Jesse. So why don't we get to uh, that and one man making the most of his moment.
1: Yeah, Taylor Heineke. Uh, so he's up there wearing, <clears throat> in a presser, wearing a uh, Bush Light sweatshirt, as you can see. A really good look asked about it, he said, I got fined for drinking Bush Light on the Commander's team plane last year, so they sent me a bunch of stuff. So this is hysterical, gets tweeted out, and then the first comment on the tweet was Bush Light going, heck yeah, brother. So this is interesting to me, Dad, because you guys actually used to get issued beers walking
0: on the
2: plane, right? Let me tell you. So you used to walk onto our plane, And at the bottom of the stairs, you got handed a bag with two beers in it whoever wanted it. And the beautiful thing was there were guys that didn't drink. Like Reggie White always gave me his two beers because he did not drink. So now I had four beers and you just kind of add them up around. And yes, it was completely that was the thing everybody did until I believe the first ones were. I think there were some Minnesota coaches who when they landed back in Minnesota, as they left got nailed for DUI, so yeah, at that cool. point, at that point, police started knowing what the deal was in the NFL, and they would be kind of waiting and you know following as the cars left the airport, thinking you know we were shooting fish in a barrel here. So the NFL realized, um, yeah, I guess we're the bartender here, so maybe we should not do this anymore. Uh, but my my bigger thing is how does Heineken not have a Heineken deal? I couldn't agree more. Drinking Bush Light, how do you not have a Heineken deal? If you're going to get fined, get fined by someone who's sponsoring you and paying you. How Heineken hasn't jumped in on this, I don't know. Is it not crazy. legal
0: to drink beers on the plane now? Like, what did he get fined for?
2: Well, I think I think they it's against a, the rules out there. They, they stopped, I, I think so. Is there, is there Jesse? do you have oh, something different?
1: I didn't, I my first assumption was that maybe they had some kind of a deal with a different beer company.
2: No, I, I, I listen, we could check into this, but I, I know... The league can't give you beers so I wonder can you bring your own but I don't think you can I think I don't think you can drink on the planes anymore
1: you're right. Oh, there you go. senior. you yeah. Our yeah. producer just NFL let us know prohibits, the NFL yeah. prohibits yeah.
0: alcohol it, on team charters, which I mean, this
1: was all our fault. This was my era's fault. Truly, our fault. Our but bad. It Sorry, buddy. It. It we did it. He got in trouble because someone put it on Instagram. I but, was going to say
0: we had people sneak booze on the team charter when we were
1: oh, in college. Yeah, like come it's on. Hard. You think these guys are drink drinking had on the team plane? Come on.
2: The late great Jerome Brown, one of such, one of my be- great friends. He had a briefcase with holes in the top of it, if you were holding it, with spouts sticking out of it. And you open it, and there were like four-fifths of different liquors in there that he would yeah. pour on the planes uh, to us. Uh, it, it, was, it was a phenomenal contraption, by the, the boys way. boys getting
0: loose playing Boo Ray in the back of the oh, plane. We used go. to be a proper country.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, the Blu ray on the plane, the biggest, I'll say it again, the biggest pot ever was $20,000 on the line when I was playing Blu ray. And let me tell you what, I had to have the perfect hand to stay, knowing I wasn't going to lose. Uh, because my hand would shake when you had to drop. Uh, but more fights came out of that. You had to stop. All of a sudden, guys weren't paying right away, or you had to pay by check at the next practice. It got out of hand, uh, a little bit out of hand. Maybe the alcohol had something to do with it. I don't it's know. Possible. Yeah, blame,
0: blame it on the goose. Uh, got you feeling <laughs> loose. Uh, Jesse, as we get to the third, I don't know what we factor this in for, but getting to just say the sentence, Hulk Hogan dedicates his life to Jesus, announced on his baptism on Twitter, is an incredible statement in 2023.
1: Yeah, he said, total surrender and dedication to Jesus is the greatest day of my life. No worries, no hate, no judgment, only love. Okay, heck yeah, brother, right? Am I right? I does mean, he have to change it up now? Yeah, does he have to say I mean, heck serious. instead of hell? How many times
2: have we hear hell yeah, brother? Yeah, I mean, million. seriously. Iconic line. Does we have to change that up now? I mean, is that a rule? I don't know. I I don't
0: know. I don't know. He, I'm not really sure. He does join a recent trend of high-profile figures. Well, kind of high-profile figures probably past their prime, dedicating their lives to Christ. We just did the Daddy Yankee story. Yeah. Not too long ago, he's leaving reggaeton and to go and give his life over to Jesus. So apparently well, that's hot them. in the street. Are yeah. either of you preparing for a public baptism I don't know about? No. Uh, okay. Okay. No. Hell, hell no, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me just say this. If you want to be baptized into the church of Gojo and Golik, I'll go throw water on you for the free. Uh, In the meantime, you can just download, subscribe, rate, and review us instead. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out here live 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern each day. Thanks so much. Enjoy Thursday Night Football. Talk to you tomorrow.